Have you ever seen cows funneled into a chute? Cows are big and ornery if you've ever spent any time around them. And they're very dangerous when they're in a herd. Funnel them into a strong, solid chute, though, and they're very easy to control. Basically, you're putting up fences, tight fences, to make sure they can't wander. And you can control whatever they do, as long as you surveil it. Our elites are building a chute, and they're funneling the cows into it. This includes two parts. One is the social media censorship we've already seen, social media censorship the Democrats are proposing to put on steroids. But there's a second part of it, making sure there's no escape, no place to go and exist outside the chute in which you can communicate in any way without them being able to monitor and shut you down. This is why antitrust laws that ban monopolistic practices were clearly broken to keep the cows in the chute. At the very moment, Parler hit number one in the app store because people were exiting Twitter and Facebook by the millions, it was taken down. But you remember it was worse than taken down. One by one, every one of the dozens of vendors needed to keep a site like Parler up and running called and quit. They'd all been threatened, controlled, continue to do business with Parler, and that'll ruin that little business you have there. You're going to lose the rest of your clients. Bottom line, as I've predicted, by the way, for a couple of years, the cows will not be allowed to leave the chute. I used to get people texting me, say, well, Tara, if you just, just quit Facebook, go over to, yeah, go where? Anywhere that gets big and powerful with a lot of cows exiting the chute will be shut down. How hysterically committed, how hysterically committed are our elites to this so hysterically committed that they are literally vowing to make sure there is nowhere you can go to communicate with another living soul that they can't monitor? It's exactly what tech entrepreneur, investor, and author Vivek Ramaswamy predicted yesterday. He's a guy worth $600 million. He's just 35. You'd think nothing in this world would scare him, but he sounded scared. And he was right. It took less than 24 hours after he made this prediction on Fox News for what he predicted to come true. Here it was from yesterday's podcast. Look, I think that pretty soon we are heading to not just social media posts being flagged, not just entire apps being barred from the app store. I think we're on a collision course heading to our emails being censored, to text messages being censored, using artificial intelligence. And I think that's no exaggeration, because if you think that Facebook, Google and YouTube are doing the right things by removing social media posts and videos, then there's really no argument why that same logic shouldn't apply to hateful or untrue or racist emails or to hateful or untrue or racist text messages, even phone conversations coming up soon. Many people speak over FaceTime audio or over WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook. That's coming. We have the artificial intelligence algorithms in society to do it. Now it's just a matter of weaponizing that. And I think that is what's coming soon. Sooner than he thought, apparently. The very next morning in the New York Times was exactly that proposal. The Times was flipping out because they hadn't properly contained the cows in the chute. Yes, they were preparing or had removed them from social media like Facebook and Twitter, but that, the Times said, was not enough. The same author, Kevin Roos, who earlier in the week proposed a reality czar, a truth commission, and a partnership between the Truth Commission and big tech monopolies to set rules for what people can and can't say 
online and who can and can't remain online. That guy? And by the way, what he was proposing there, everybody focused on the wrong thing. The reality czar's kooky and all, but what he's really proposing is the merger of the federal government and the tech companies through this commission. Well, as Ramaswamy explained, they still got a problem. People can still communicate on email, they can text, they can message, they can Zoom, they can do all of these things. So they still could potentially get the message across and communicate with each other. And so the message from the New York Times was simply this, and from Roos, we must make sure there is nowhere anybody can go to communicate that we don't control and surveil and have the ability to both censor and knock people off of. This latest New York Times column is headlined, Are Private Messaging Apps the Next Misinformation Hotspot? Put simply, the New York Times wants private messaging apps banned or the encryption removed or those who own and control them to surveil and police those on them for speech the New York Times doesn't like. Now, let me stop here to explain to you what's what's going on here with Kevin Roos. This is not just some guy writing crazy columns who we should disregard. This is the traditional political cycle. The Democrats want and plan to do something. As Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez told us, we're going to have a commission. We're going to tell the media what to say and what not to say and who gets to say it. Well, they they need backing for that. They need support. So what do they do? They call up their friend Kevin Roos or somebody else at the New York Times and get them to float it and propose it. And then they point and say, look what people are calling for. We have to do it. It's cover. Just like Ramaswamy predicted, Roos went after encrypted messaging apps, which protect the privacy of online conversations, he said. They were once special tools used primarily by people working in professions where confidentiality was prized, like law, journalism, and politics. The problem, he says, is now that everybody's jumping on board. In the past month, he says, tens of millions of people have downloaded private messaging programs like Telegram and Signal, making the two services the hottest apps in the world, he writes. Some new users include far-right groups that were banned from posting on Facebook and Twitter. So what does he want? If you're a Verizon customer, he wants you to download the messaging app that comes with that so they can surveil you, censor you, and curtail you. He wants to make sure there's nowhere you can go to have a private conversation that either the government or their partnership entities in the private sector don't control. Here's how they sell it, and it's the perfect pitch. The shift to private messaging has renewed a debate over whether encryption is a double-edged sword. While the technology prevents people from being spied on, it might also make it easier for criminals and misinformation spreaders to do harm without getting caught. In an honest society, the list of misinformation spreaders would have the New York Times at the top of it. They have botched every single major story of the Trump era. Era. They botched, hey, the FBI is not really spying on Trump. They were. They told us that Hunter Biden's laptop wasn't really Hunter's. It was Russian disinformation. Nope, it was Hunter's. They told us Trump was colluding with Russia and that they had the evidence, as did the Democrats. Not true. They told us Russia interfered in our election, in particular with meddling with the DNC server. Well, later on, we'd find out that wasn't true either. In fact, nobody even knows if the Russians hacked the server or if anybody else did, for that matter. Once again, the New York Times got it wrong. 
So what Kevin Roos is proposing here, if you look at it from a business model standpoint, is that the New York Times and a couple of their friends in the media have an absolute monopolistic control of information. Think how rich that'll make them. Roos goes on to write in his piece, there's been a lot of chit-chat among journalists and scholars about the mass migration from public social networks like Facebook and Twitter toward private messaging services. In general, there's concern that misinformation could become even more difficult to fight in private channels. Can you see it all coming together? Jack Dorsey of Twitter lets us know that he's already working on forming a commission. In fact, he's already paying people working for it to put together one set of rules for all the social media outlets so that, you know, Jack doesn't have to police us anymore. In other words, if you want to be a social media outlet, you're going to have to censor accordingly. Get banned from one, get banned from all. All the rules, all the time, nowhere to go to speak freely is what he's talking about. He's already putting it together. In fact, he announced it within 48 hours of AOC saying this. There's absolutely a commission that's being discussed. We're going to have to figure out how we reign in our media environment so that you can't just spew disinformation and misinformation. It's one thing to have differing opinions, but um, it's another thing entirely to just say things that are false. Um, And so that's something that we're looking into. What does Roos argue the problem is with encrypted apps? Here's what he says. End-to-end encryption is a problem. He calls it a jargony way to describe messages that get scrambled to become indecipherable to anyone except for the sender and the recipient. He says it's tougher for companies and law enforcement to hold misinformation spreaders and criminals accountable because their messages won't be accessible. What was that? When did it become okay for law enforcement to be used against people who produce so-called misinformation? One person's misinformation is another person's truth. We'll take a quick break here. Back in a minute. How sick is what the New York Times is proposing here? Listen to this paragraph which describes viewpoints other than the liberal viewpoints that spew from the New York Times newsroom as a sickness. Roos writes, the way I've been thinking about this is in a kind of epidemiological model. If someone is sick and at risk of infecting others, you really want to get them out of the general population and into quarantine, even if it means putting them somewhere like a hospital where there are a lot of other sick people. (laughs) Whoa. He even starts to go through the apps, talking about what needs to be changed. He said the problem with Telegram is that it allows group chats. Up to 200,000 people can meet inside a Telegram chat room. That seems problematic. He's interviewing a guy named Chen here. (laughs) Problematic that we can even assemble? Those are among our most basic rights in the First and Fourth Amendments. Roos says, these apps are designed for one-to-one messaging, but the addition of features like forwarding combined with big caps on maximum chat sizes makes them vulnerable to the same kinds of one-to-many contagion effects as the big broadcast platforms. So they're literally talking about going through, having commissions, uh, reality czars, making sure there's nowhere on the internet, period, end of memo, where you can send a message that is private or send a message to large numbers of people. This is simply terrifying. The article goes on to say that the two men aren't really worried about Signal because they said 
a five-person limit to forwarding. And that that must be done on other apps. But this is a level of control of speech that is unbelievable. Remember when I warned you, being banned from Twitter, being banned from Facebook would ultimately eventually mean being banned from the financial system. That it wouldn't be good enough to just move to a state that nullified the federal government's unconstitutional laws, executive orders, and dictates. That we would need our own banking system, our own internet, our own platforms for payment and receipt of payment, our own credit cards, our own credit lending, basically an entirely separate digital system that is free. It's my hope that what's going on right now will create the market forces for that and that they will be able to overcome the authoritarian level of censorship that we've seen parlor you know, encounter. And that's why it's so critical for Parlo to be able to get back up and running because it'll be a signal to investors. There's going to be a huge market for free and unencumbered commerce and speech, a massive market. Fortunes will be made in it if it's allowed to exist. It must survive. Parlor must survive. Or that investment might never be made. But let's go back to banking and to the shoot and the cattle. The shoot now is not just about social media. Again, the shoot means you get them in the shoot and everything they do can be surveilled either by the government or all the right people or a combination of the two. Well, as Tucker Carlson story he broke on his show this week, the shoot now includes Bank of America and I bet other banks without a warrant or a subpoena or any kind of accusation of a crime, Bank of America voluntarily turns over a freakishly scary level of detail about its customers to the FBI just because the FBI asked. The FBI's goal was to get the names, addresses, contact information of anybody who might have flown to Washington, D.C. around the 6th, might have bought a gun and flown to Washington, D.C. around the tw- around the 6th. And, well, I'll let Tucker tell you. This show has obtained exclusively evidence that Bank of America the second largest bank in the country with more than 60 million customers, is actively but secretly engaged in the hunt for extremists in cooperation with the government. Bank of America is, without the knowledge or the consent of its customers, sharing private information with federal law enforcement agencies. Bank of America effectively is acting as an intelligence agency, but they're not telling you about it. In the days after the January 6th riot at the Capitol, Bank of America went through its own customers' financial and transaction records, a lot of them. Now, these were the private records of Americans who had committed no crime, people who, as far as we know, had absolutely nothing to do with what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. But at the request of federal investigators, Bank of America searched its databases looking for people who fit a specific profile. Here's what that profile was, and we are quoting. Customers confirmed as transacting, either through bank account, debit card, or credit card, purchases in Washington, D.C. between January 5th and January 6th. Number two, purchases made for hotels, Airbnb, RSVPs in Washington, Virginia, or Maryland after January 6th. Number three, any purchase of weapons or at a weapons-related merchant between January 7th and their upcoming suspected stay in the D.C. area around Inauguration Day. And four, airline-related purchases sixth, sixth, since January 6th, end quote. So what do you notice about that profile 
Well, the first thing you notice is that it's remarkably broad. Any purchases of anything in the city of Washington, D.C., any overnight stay anywhere in the three-state area that spans hundreds of miles, any purchase, not simply of legal firearms, but instead anything bought from a, quote, weapons-related merchant, T-shirts included, and then any airline-related purchases, not just flights to Washington, flights to anywhere, to Omaha, to Thailand. That is a very, very wide net, an absurdly wide net. Bank of America identified a total of 211 customers who met these, quote, thresholds of interest. And it was at that point, the show has learned, Bank of America turned over the results of its internal scan to federal authorities, apparently without notifying the customers who were being spied upon. Federal investigators then interviewed at least one of these unsuspecting people. And that person, we've learned, hadn't done anything wrong. And in the end, was cleared. Unbelievable. This from the the same agency, the FBI, that when Senator Rand Paul was attacked, along with his wife and officers on the street, and had to fight his attackers off with a chair as they threatened his life on video. He asked the Department of Justice and the FBI to do exactly this kind of check. Do you remember? To check into who purchased their airline tickets, why they were wearing new clothes, if there was any kind of coordination. And what did the Department of Justice tell Senator Rand Paul? No, they wouldn't be doing that. It's all part, remember, of the same system that I've been describing. It's not just hypocrisy. It's the idea of normalizing violence by left. It's very normal. It's very justified. It's okay. It won't be investigated. Remember when in, uh, the FBI was asked about Antifa and Christopher Ray, director of the FBI, explained, well, that's more just of a philosophy. We don't really see a connection. And remember, when someone inside the Department of Homeland Security actually leaked that there were connections across states, that there was organization across states. In other words, the FBI director lied to get out of investigating them. Yet they are willing to go to Bank of America to just place innocent people at the DCC. And you realize what they're looking for here. They're looking for anybody who was even there. There were tens of thousands of people who had nothing to do with the Capitol incursion. They were peaceful protesters, but they were there. And the FBI is seeking them out, seeking every connection between them. Do you see the problem here? Normalize the violence by the left. Ignore it. Brush it off. Don't condemn it. Ever. Nobody, by the way, in Democrat leadership condemned the attack on Rand Paul. And only one person in Republican leadership, Steve Scalise, who himself was shot full of bullets by a Bernie Sanders supporter, even cared about the Rand Paul attack. There were no hearings on it. And there was no condemnation of it, again, by the leadership. See what how this works? Again, it's not just the Democrats. The Republican leadership is to blame, too. And this is how it works with the FBI, too. Use your force as a false force multiplier. What is the goal here, by the way? It's the same as the goal by the New York Times to shut down all communication and all speech and by social media to shut down all communication and all speech. It's to prevent anybody who opposes the regime in Washington and its elite leaders in both parties from showing up to protest. Peacefully protest. I'm not talking about violence here at all. 
Think about it. This is just this will just summarize our whole week right here on the podcast. What do they do? Flood the zone with National Guard. When there's no violence at the inauguration, what do they do? Act like there was and keep increasing troop levels. Why is that? They could easily control violence. They're experts at it. They've been doing it for years, especially now that they're on high alert. After the Capitol incursion, this is to stop peaceful protest. What is all this about? Monitoring people on apps, digging into their bank accounts to see where they go and what the connections between them are. Stopping peaceful protest. What would this do? Say you're a peaceful person and you've just seen the latest thing Biden has done. Man, you've never been political in your life or you've never gone to a protest in your life, but this is the last straw for you. You can go to Washington? Well, you really can't with the National Guard in the streets. But even if you wanted to, to go peacefully protest, can you? You've got a job. What if the FBI sees you traveled via your Bank America account or maybe another bank they're working with? I'm sure that's not the only one. What if they come to your place of business or where you work to question you. Tucker Carlson says one person's already been fired because of this. He didn't give any more details. Maybe you won't protest because I'm here to tell you with the stuff they're doing right now, if there were free protest and peaceful protest was available, you will see millions march on Washington. And I mean peacefully. I I don't mean to do anything bad or wrong or illegal. They know it and they can't have it. In fact, they're terrified of it. Why? Because what they fear most right now, it's not violence. They can control that. No, what they fear is that all-powerful visual of millions in the streets, angry with signs and their fists in the air, demanding freedom and calling out what's going on in Washington. Because what they want more than anything, and you can see this by them wanting to restrict even the number of people, as the New York Times proposed, that you can send a message to on a texting app. What they want is for you to feel alone and isolated and hopeless. And a visual like that would turn everything around. It's a feature of authoritarian regimes. Remember when the Poles realized they were free and that they were no longer subjects? It was when they poured into the streets and they realized how many of them there were. Thank you for listening to the Battleground America podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded friends and family everywhere. Battleground America with Tara Servatius. Please subscribe on radio.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Be sure to share with your friends and family. Thank you for listening.